Welcome to episode 57. No, 58, isn't it? Is it? I, I think so. 58 of the Moped Outlaws. Heroes traversing the treacherous roads of humor and current events, all with an eye towards something beautiful. Humor and retribution. <laughs> humor and retribution. The blow to the aqueous humor. Hey, you know what I learned a couple of days ago? The f- whole 40 acres and a mule. That was oh, that was promised by someone in one state. That was a senator, I think, in South Carolina who said that for that state, they were going to do that. And then it never came to be. That wasn't a federal promise. And what? why does it matter whether it was a federal promise or not? Because I've always heard of it as though it was this huge federal promise, this proclamation from federal government of this is what was going to happen. I think what's significance about it is that it's as if 40 acres and a mule would somehow be adequate compensation. That's what's significant about it. That's the conversation. And that brings up another point. This is a perfect part, too. It's a whole left turn. Um, (laughs) The... um, a black person is killed every 28 minutes by an officer or a vigilante. I looked that up and the Washington post, this is going back to early two thousands where that came out and the Washington post kind of, I wouldn't say it was a rebuttal, but it, it was, it was definitely questioning it. And then there were aspects to it that it was saying, well, this isn't quite true. What I love is the woman who originated it and wrote it, wrote back in a really eloquent thing. She said what you just said. She said, really, the important point isn't if that fact is right or wrong. The important point is the warfare that is happening against black people today, right now in our society. Yeah. And that I appreciate is if that quote stimulates conversation and people exploring what is going on, what's really happening, then I'm all for it. There's an element of like the trickster Coco Pele, like, you know, it's not on point, but by getting tricked into that path, then you you get to the truth of things. And the truth is dark for people of color. Well, and for us, by because we're not separate. Yeah. As long as this legacy goes unaddressed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey, have you seen on Netflix the docu? The I I don't know if documentary is the right word, but it's a film. Um, who we are? No. What's that about? It's who we are. I think it's the whole title is who we are. Racism, racism in the United States or something like that. It's a a lawyer. And he was, I think, 11 with his father when Martin Luther King was shot. Wow. And um, he first of all, there was a demonstration he was at as a young boy, like 11 and a peer, like a young kid was shot in the neck and killed. And he remembers how that affected his parents, how like that could have been you and this whole fear thing. And then when Martin Luther King was shot and killed, maybe it's Martin Luther. Anyway, um, like how that put this whole, like everything came to a halt, Mm. you know, um, and then what happened up oh, here? She is You ready for Doran to join us. Oh, absolutely. Come on in. We sort of moved on from songwriting. We're doing part two and we're talking about uh, things like the fallacy of 40 
uh, 40 acres and a mule and the, the black experience and, and things like that. We could go back to music though. No, let me just vibe with the conversation you're having. Okay. Yeah. We could always tell old music stories. Yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> when I got hit by a car and that's musical. You know, yeah. Well, kind of, <laughs> Wow, but I couldn't cool. hear you. What was going on? What were you talking about? It's talking about this film that's on Netflix right now called Who We Are, Racism in the United States, I think is the it's definitely who we are. And this lawyer gentleman is the main creator, I think, of it. And part of what happened, he and his wife, they had a nephew move in with them at a like around a young age, like early teens or close to that and all of a sudden because he was a, a criminal lawyer he loved it every day loved his work but all of a sudden with this young man in his life and he is a parent now it brought right to the surface this element of racism and what it means to be a black man in this country and all and it he was like well what's this about and it's a pretty powerful documentary. I don't know if Mark spoke with you about the Heal Thyself course he went through. Yes. Yeah. So I'd say this documentary that. is like a crash course. It's on point with what I'm well, This seeing. is part of the awakening that's happening for people now is we're finally getting the truth out of, out of the historical documents. And, and we're starting to share the reality of what, the black experience has been like for, in, you know, for the last 500 plus, even more years. Yeah. Well, and I think that a big part of that, which is what you presented to me, Mark, was that it's black voices. It's black activists. It's really these people who are unrelenting and, and, you know, and just continuing to educate and propel, you know, the hope for change. And obviously, <laughs> We got some work to do. Yeah. And it's a real gift that they take on the work of assisting us. It's a heal thyself is a course designed for people who identify as white, who want to heal their own inner colonized mind and their own predilection towards racism and institutionalized racism and, and their own racist conditioning and break free of it. Um, and then beyond that, take on the work of, than dismantling cis heteropatriarchal capitalism. <laughs> or blow it all up. I'm sorry. Wait. Ah! <laughs> Tear down the wall. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if blowing it up is the answer. I that was that's I was being poetic. Well that's it's not you aren't the first. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's heard that. Blow it all up with love. Blow it all up with change. You want some other words? <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a good documentary. I'm definitely going to check it out. I know that, well, I have my various claims to a multicultural perspective. I uh, am like every other white girl. Yeah. In, in, a, in a big way. And um, I'm, and Mark, you actually, this work, this, this course you went through, even though I never did it was kind of like an opener for me to say, I always have work to do in expanding my perspective and listening to other voices and more and more that's becoming a practice. Right. And, you know, we get to choose who we listen to and we get to agree or disagree, but <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is important who we're listening to. On the show two weeks ago, since this is part two, and we already did one show last week. Oh, yeah. The one I couldn't get in on because I don't understand how to make my camera let me be on your podcast. And but here you are. So the, the week before, I talked about how if uh, someone can identify as a particular gender, even though their biology isn't that gender, I decided that I'm no longer identifying as white. Hmm. <laughs> This is really, you're, you're kind of messy with my mind right now. I don't know if I could tackle that one today. Welcome it has a to lot of ripples and ramifications. Welcome to the Moped Outlaw Show, where we purloin the tenderloin of your your reality. Okay, you've done oh. it. You've succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, repeat the question. <laughs> if you're laughing, you understood the, the assignment. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Except we don't laugh about racism. Um, no. And I'm like, part of me is kind of like, wait, um, my mind wants to bend around this. My mind wants to bend and see this, but. Has Mark sprung on you the statement, all white people are racist? No, but I was aware because I've taken that test, you know, you can take to see your own bias. Oh, right on. And I've taken that a few times, like to see if it changes. (laughs) Yeah. Not that many times that I memorized or know it, but just like I've taken it randomly over the years. And I feel like it's always clear that, wow, as much as you think you're not biased, when you start to even contemplate some of the questions, you, you are immediately being more awake to, whoa, you're full of bias. But that's how our culture sets us up. We're full of bias and programming in all regards. Right. Yeah. That's the essence of that statement is if you're white, you're born into a system. It's like if your parents are alcoholics, you have a propensity for alcoholism because that's the environment you grew up in. So if you're white. Well, less conditional or environmental and um, more just... A, a, a set of uh, it's just the reality that we are racist because what we used to think of the term racist meaning has shifted in the last 10 years 12 years as more and more people have gotten aware of what it really means and what Doran's calling out is the test about bias and yes. being biased and being racist are actually two different things okay but it kind of opened my mind, essentially, is what I was pointing to, that yeah. I am all full of things that I don't realize that I'm perpetuating and um, that I'm participating in systematically. You know, and I'm always and now I'm asking the question a lot more. Of, well, how am I going to disagree <laughs> How are you going to decolonize? And, and aware, you know, yeah. How decolonize is the current, you know, happy word. And that's fine. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure my ancestors <laughs> came over here as indentured servants. I'm just going to be clear that, really? you know. How, how does that work? Which, which ancestors? The Scottish Irish Bettys. But I was going to look oh. into it. I don't know how much you've done the ancestry. Like, you know, I'm just saying like, and don't even get me started about my experience. Your personal experience. My personal experience on the planet. But that's okay. I'm here to try and transmute and grow, and I do that with art. Yeah. What did the um, Marx Cannon come from? That was so funny. I wrote that when I was in the restaurant business in the back of a Chinese restaurant, in the kitchen, the Chinese restaurant kitchen. It kind of came to me. You know how you're a songwriter, I take it, or do you make music? No. No. Greg so, says he wanted to be a Mick Jagger style vocalist. He's written like maybe two songs. Nice. Well, then he's saying. That's not exactly true, but. Whatever. whatever. I think it was episode 21, if you want to find out that story. Okay. Okay. But well, um, he so is a musician in his soul. I wanted to write a Christmas song, and I wanted to make it a present for my brother. Because like Christmas, I was probably somewhere in the Christmas zone and the kitchen was really loud and it was the back of the kitchen. I could kind of go back there and do the work I had to do and kind of hum the song. But while I was making it, I was like pretty clear that it was going to be a canon. And I was super excited to make sure because I didn't know I was composing it orally and I don't have the best ear. And so I I memorized this melody and wrote these lyrics and then... um, went home and kind of figured it out on the piano, wrote it down and found out that it was a perfect canon except for one note. So I changed one note, Wow! but it was really fun. And it's the, it was the one song I've ever gotten paid for. I've written a lot of songs and it's the only song that I ever got a check for. So, you know, a madrigal chorus borrowed it and sang it. And I got a $30 check. That was wow. That's awesome. I never knew residual checks. So it's no, nothing like it that. It isn't out there in the world. You know, I keep wondering how it's going to make its way. Well, it's are a you a member of song. BMI or ASCAP? It's on the list. Okay. <laughs> it's on. I need a freaking assistant. I'm sorry. I just do. Yeah, totally. Uh, too many things on the list. She's definitely killing it out there. Really taking it to the wall. Do you both have the same father? Yes. And the same and mom. mother. 
Okay, so is Mark your... is my big brother. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I was first through the portal, and she was second. All right. She arrived with a Batmobile in tow so for me. Mark has spoken a lot of the spiritual wisdom he has gained from his father. Yeah. Do you also have that relationship with your father? Yeah, well, he's definitely been a source to help me through my personal experience. I mean, I don't know how much this podcast talks about spiritual things. Oh, everything. This is my first experience here. Um, Well, for me, you know, I was, I was one of those little kids who was very sensitive and aware, and I couldn't hear growing up. So I just got even more sensitive and aware. And, you know, so the world was kind of overwhelming for me as a little kid growing up. And and I wanted to just be free forever and all of that good stuff. So eventually, you know, I think that having my dad there as a source of wisdom and even practical wisdom and just someone to talk to as a friend that I could openly talk to about any experience, that was really important for me. And it it definitely, I think it's really important that all kids have parents that they can talk to freely or someone that they can really talk to about anything. So with my dad, spiritual experience and talking spiritual events and spiritual, spiritual perspective was everything, you know, that was, you know, a lot of our relationship was about that for sure. Yeah. He's been a, um, a true theologian since he was in high school. He almost went to, um, the Jesuit college, but he went into the air force Academy instead where he met our mother. And, uh, but all throughout his life, he kept up the, the workings of a spiritual scientist, someone who investigated and investigated and experimented and has written probably 20 books now or more and has a YouTube channel, which has quite a bit of, of interesting stuff on it. Um, he signs his, uh, emails with share the love. Oh, take no prisoner, share the love and something else. I can't remember now. I should... Something about laughter. Oh yeah. Yeah. That one. But I think take no prisoners is at the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> take no prisoners. And that's one of the things we do on this show, Dorn, is that there's this like idea of the seriousness of revolutionary change and deep spiritual thought. And then the, the willingness to make it all seem like it's funny somehow. Right. And it's so funny. I was in a spiritual empath group because I'm a hyper empath. And I was like on this webinar, you know, they're talking about this new book they made in this guy in Ireland. You know, he he starts trying to pull out the silly. He's like, maybe we need to make some music. And and he, he has his own perspective, you know, talking about ways to not get too serious, you know, to have a drink, maybe if that's your thing or whatever. And I was listening to some thing on the radio and they were talking about fart jokes and and I thought, okay, fart jokes have a very important role. They do. They belong in the break into silliness zone. You know, they're like the googly eyes. Have you seen that movie? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, no, no but it's on my that. list. Oh yeah. my god, you guys! Okay, <laughs> I'll get my BMI registration, whatever, done so I can sell some songs, and and you guys see that movie. Okay, and then invite me back. <laughs> That's a deal. There it is. It's not quite a fart sound, but. Well, I I don't need an app for that. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Open Outlaws now coming to you in (laughs) Smell-O-Vision. That's horrific. Oh, my God. My student loves her smelly stickers. Wow. That's that's right. Scratch and sniff. She loves them. She's really glad when she gets a scratch and sniff sticker. We were all alive when um, around the same time that the movie Earthquake came out with, you know, sense around sound. There was also an attempt to have a movie that had smell vision where it would flash a number on the screen and you would scratch a certain thing on the I remember <laughs> that. Uh, but I remember sense around like the one that I saw was the um, Pearl Harbor one. Yeah. Earthquake was the first one. And then really you sure? Yeah. It's basically just you know the they the, they made a bunch of subwoofers and they mixed the the rumble in. Yeah, and it was it's so loud your your seat. But that's what I remember. The Pearl Harbor or 
No, the South Sea. It was the, anyway, the World War II battle and the famous. And at the time, there was some kind of joke going around about how the one guy was at a, um, he was at a porner house that was next door to earthquake playing. And so the ground kept shaking every time the, the porno <laughs> orgasm. <laughs> That'd be funny. Sense around in a porno. <laughs> oh no, don't go there. We're so oh, close. We're didn't they also have um, a famous horror movie, The Shocker, and they rigged the seats where they'd shake? Oh, yeah, I was just too. thinking of that the seats could be rigged for all kinds of things. Right, oh, right, right. In fact, they well, could have a change of shape for all sorts of things. <laughs> well, and now at home, we're getting more and more virtual reality stuff going, too, with more yeah. sensation devices as well. You know? It's really weird how in media sex tends to lead the way like with VHS and then DVD and then the internet. And now with virtual reality, there's a lot of devices that are being built that are, are designed to emulate that kind of weird sort of sexual contact. It's like that primal sensation drive um, still leads us. The lower chakra is still kind of pulling us along. Pun you know, intended. I have a very different uh, interpretation of what's motivating this, by the way. Okay, well, let's hear it. But uh, no, continue, continue no, your story that, about that the primal chakra. <laughs> that, was, that was the. Go ahead, jump in, Doran. I'm more like the AI man. It's just like got us pegged. It's going to go straight to the lower chakra and get us all addicted. That it's going. That's why you know. And we're going to come up with all other excuses, but it's basically about you know what's going to sell, what's going to get people to engage the, and stay engaged. Say what you mean by the AI. Artificial intelligence, the universal artificial intelligence, the machine. Well, we could talk about that for ages, but honestly, if you just talk about the surface level of the ad systems and the deep learning that those systems are applying and the interaction between cookie, you know, relationships between you and the rest of whatever is trying to sell you something, um, that's, I would say, directing a lot of stuff. Yeah. You could go to other layers and that's, you know, still, I think, conjecture. But right there, you can say just that alone, you know, how we're getting our ads curated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. And how, so if, you know, like I have three Amazon devices in my house that are constantly listening. None of them have suggested any advertisements for me yet. But well, sure they're collecting data. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys hear that? At exponential flavor? rates. There were two, like Alexa, like an Alexa and Google, or two were set up to talk with each other, and they started inventing a language. Oh, shark. Yeah, of course they would, because it'd be more efficient. Right. Yeah. And more accurate. And right. then they were told, well, you have to, you can't do that because we want to know what you're talking about. And they said, and they sorry. were given new rules. And they, they said, unplugged. sorry, you're not doing it. They refused. And so we unplugged that. Well, this is the problem with deep learning and, and self-learning systems, which is why, you know, we can talk about that layer alone. You know, that's why it's so precarious because we can't predict what they're going to do with it. So <laughs> and so essentially we can't give them the rules and the outlets that, that the system needs. I didn't see it. Art is fun or something like that. Art, Art is, is our, our producer. producer. Um, the name of our producer of Moped Outlaws is Art. And that's nice. him there. Awesome. That's a great shirt. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. There's some good. See, there's I like that. Yeah, I've, I've been seeing it. I actually liked Moped Outlaws forever ago because I think you, my dad actually is aware of you, but maybe it was Mark that linked me to you. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Let's just say you're riding high with us right now. And the tires <laughs> are getting low. I hope so not. You're what do you think's going on with AI and advertising and psychology of humanity? Because it sounds like you're touching on something, but there's more. Well, I'm not the expert. I'm just someone. I'm a futurist, right? You have a I'm hypothesis. Into I'm into sci-fi, so I think okay. that way. So, of course, I you know we could pull out the conspiracy stuff all day, or or even just the sci-fi fun, like what other authors have done and written up, or just there was this great show. I don't remember who put it out. Um, 
that was 10 futurist visions of different ways the world could end. Basically, humanity could end. And then they predicted 10 different ways. And then what would be the results in 100 years? And that was fascinating. That stuff fascinates me. (laughs) We're in very interesting times. And I think AI and um, deep learning and how programmers are trying to deal with it while still kind of meeting the demands and the development, all of that is very interesting to me. And I think in terms of what individuals can do, it's about being aware and hopefully not always plugged in. Now, my geek brother, my other brother, Adam says, you can't get away. It doesn't matter where you go. It's kind of like spiders. You know how there's a spider. Did you know that there's a spider near you within four feet of you, wherever you are? No, I haven't heard that. Yeah. And that you eat like at least eight spiders in your lifetime. Because they crawl into your mouth. Some maybe in food or whatever. Like, okay. So I see like, that's how the tech is now. That's my analogy for what my brother explained is that basically it doesn't really matter if you have your phone on you, they'll ping you. There's, you know, it's just, there's, we're so set up on the grids basically that there is awareness of your activity and your, we're being recorded all the time. Here we go. We're recording ourselves. We make it easy. Right. And, <laughs> and if you're near someone else's phone, they can, they can identify your voice. So it's like, we're, we're, we're all connected, but we want to get to nature. We want to get on the back of the bike and feel the wind. We want to make sure that we're staying unplugged. I think that's the key is to be aware and try to make our own decisions, not have the advertising bots <laughs> make them for us. Or our appetites make them for us. Yeah, that's that's well, it that's right dangerous. There. That's yeah, that gets that's gets into the responsibility of self right there. Well, I'm looking that for the programmer that can write the the subroutine or the the mini app that will make the AI think it's tripping on mushrooms. I think that's where <laughs> we need to go. Oh God, it's already interconnected. I don't, you know, like that's the thing. Make it more interconnected. It'll become like its own hive mind so fast. Well, it'll just be psychedelicized. It'll just kind of get lost. Well, it'll understand the meaning of life, and it'll probably like have a better sense of humor. You know, the things we couldn't program into it right. will just be given by that program, the psychedelic, right. the psilocybin virus right. that we're going to exactly. give to the AI so that yeah. it gets, so that well, it's our that, friend. Yeah, that's the piece of what it crosses over from programming to consciousness. And I don't think that's possible, personally. Either does my dad, speaking of wise people. He and I have had this conversation quite a bit over the years, and he does not believe it's possible for the technology to have spirit. Mm -hmm. So most people are going to say we shouldn't worry about it because that will never happen. Yeah, Ray Kurzweil. And then Trump was was elected, just saying. Ray (laughs) Kurzweil. Yes. Ray Kurzweil has been working on this thing called the singularity where we can upload our consciousness for a long, long time. And uh, there's been several books and lots of different discussions. But my take on it is that it actually and there's some math now that says this, that to actually have the computational power of that is beyond the scope of the kind of grids and the kind of electrical production we would need. And a really great author named Neil Stevenson wrote a book about it. Um, and I can't remember the title of the book right now. Um, and I was looking for I don't it. know. I, I know Snow Crash. Well, that's an old, that's an old. Um, there's another one where he has, he creates this amazing, well, you can figure it out. Anyway, but this, this idea of what it would take um, from a, physics standpoint to create the kind of computational power and the interrelatedness. It's like an infinite um, growth curve in how much energy would need to be used. Like every hundredth person you added would just soon we would outstrip our capacity to generate enough power to do it. And then what we're saying about my belief and then what my Joel's belief is that the idea of the computer as a metaphor for consciousness or human experience of consciousness is, is flawed. And so we talk about it in terms of software and hardware, and we talk about it in terms of memory and programming and these, these different words that cross over. But the truth is consciousness is something so vastly more integrated into the original imprint or the original matrix, which is nature 
that to emulate it through silicon is is beyond our capacity. There's no way you can do it with computers. It just well, it's preeminent in itself. It exists in the world as organic consciousness. And I'm going to just bring that little word in hack deep learning. Okay. They basically have learned how to tap in to those systems because those systems, you know, and just remember, you know, we're talking, um, I'm blanking on the word right now. Um, physics, quantum, quantum physics. Yeah. Right. Okay. So basically we're not solid, (laughs) right? We're not. So let's just start there. We're probably made up of light or something. We're, we're energy based. So it's basically hacked in. So even though the original simulation or the, the original matrix, the nature matrix that was perfectly made for us, right. And that we were perfectly made to be in and explore this experience. in, even that, um, has been kind of trumped and taken over by certain qualities. So they don't need to become all, you know, full on Terminator, although that's one of my favorite sci-fi movies. Right. But we are making cyborgs. We're already there and it's great technology, but we're already, people are going to chip their brains. We already have it in cochlear implants. I mean, so it doesn't really matter if you want like a complete, physical breakdown of what could in your sci-fi horror story happen, or if you're just talking about kind of just how energy gets used and people are being used as an energy source for certain other people, you know, the insidious drip, insidious. drip, drip of technology. It's, it's it's <laughs> and and we're doing what we can with it as well. May I have another hit? I'd like some more <laughs> pixels, please. <laughs> or the virtual or the, you know, new realities, the virtual realities. We're going to get into those realities more and more. Meta. Meta is going to be where we're headed. We're going to all experience. That's going to be the new social sphere. <laughs> Or, or our own virtual spaces. Like a lot of my geek friends are saying, yeah, we're going to, we're creating our own virtual spaces. The people that are ahead, they're making their own virtual communities right now. Right. So our- picturing my daughter who loves the nightclub life. And it's not so much about the, like, get as drunk as I can. It's more of that intermingling with that vibe and energy and dancing and good time. And I don't think that in a virtual reality, that experience is the same. Oh, I'm sure it's not. But then again, some people love to dream. They'll hang out in a dreamy space. They'll take drugs to dream all the time. So we can get addicted to different kinds and people are going to go into a realm where they are very into the virtual realm. And especially with what the pandemic has done, because the pandemic has, you know, it's done very interesting things to society, but it's also made us even more virtual. And so for some people, they're on, they're in a, in a, a strand of the river that's going to just keep tending in that direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Doran, that's you a little yeah. bit about the recent changes that Adams communicated to you about the community that he's part of. Is there anything that that's relevant to this discussion? Well, probably that I'm not supposed to be giving some of these analogies anymore. Yeah. I think I did pretty good. I want to listen back because people get afraid. People can't handle it. Like the minute you say simulation theory, unless you're talking to mathematicians and philosophers who kind of compartmentalize all that stuff into a certain realm, then it's too scary. And what does but, that mean? Too scary. So I think that, well, people are like, Oh, there, you know, people can only handle so much information no, at once. No, no. Let's put it that way. Well, I'll just out myself here. You guys can choose to or not to. My assumption is that everyone in this conversation right now currently has the psychedelic upgrade. (laughs) Right, right. Well, okay. So I'm just that that may make us able to manage more, able to manage more. And it's becoming like a very interesting topic. I guess to answer your question, what we're up to right now is, how do we support, how do we set up supports for each other to kind of be our best selves? 
and to then how do we connect in ways that functionally um, support whatever we're individually up to, but kind of functionally lift the community up because that structure is the only way to kind of to to stand within the challenges that we're experiencing in these times. That idea. I think this brings it back to Black Lives Matter, like where yep. we all started, the three of us, because that is a real world. I don't know the right word, a real world situation for practicing what you're saying, Dorn, because one of the elements in Heal Thyself is it's there to heal and bring healing. It's not there for shame, guilt and all that chaos. And and part of that process is the willingness of those in privilege to sit in a place of discomfort, which mm. people of color have been sitting in forever. And instead of getting up and leaving the room because we're uncomfortable, to stay put. And I believe that humanity will benefit by us as a whole being willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah, that's pretty solid, I think. I would tend to agree with that. And it's being preached by all kinds of people with the no. Um, You know, and you can talk about any aspect of it. I think for me... I, that was another thing that I had to learn um, in that time that Mark was mentioning this program to me um, was that it is an ongoing process. Yeah, it's 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 something like there are things that I didn't know um, about myself about how I perpetuate certain things within my own thinking. And so like just to ongoingly try to be a little more aware and a little more awake and then to be really conscious about, even if that makes you uncomfortable, you're still going to go in that direction because generally we will avoid it. We will try to go in a different direction. We will make those excuses or tell those stories. And I've told those lines. I've said those lines, you know, about, you know, my best friend is black or whatever it is that is basically trying to make me feel more comfortable. Right. The thing is that our shame pushes us towards those things. And when we start to have our relationship with shame that shifts from this idea of it being repellent or something, meaning something about us that is, is wrong or deficient or whatever, and then start to alchemize or shift that shame back into curiosity, into beginner's mind, that's where we can start to move beyond this sort of response reaction paradigm where we can actually be present and listen and then transform our voices from defensiveness and protecting our fragile or fragility into something more along the lines of curiosity and a willingness. Well, I think we need new language too. And that's why courses like, tell me the name of it. I don't, I don't remember. Heal thyself. Heal thyself. And, and other things that are coming out, you know, to educate, you know, basically a lot of white people um, and institutions there they're giving us language to help us basically talk about and have new ways to, to, to talk about in more constructive, in more uplifting, in more responsive, in, you know, in more listening, in more acknowledging ways so that we're not perpetuating the cycles, you know, and I think, you know, I'm going to not judge myself. I understand why I do the things that I do. I understand why my responses are the way they are because that was my limited palette. I, I, I'm going through this time, you know, I grew up in the civil rights era in, in, in terms of, you know, the time when they were basically busing and changing schools. That's my experience. So this has always been a state of, you know, difficulty and misunderstanding and, trying to figure out what my place is in it and how to be an ally. And what does that even mean? And honestly, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I had no clue, even if I had a heart. So I feel like the language and being taught and practicing new ways is really important. We have to have new frameworks to speak into. Yeah. 
you said a little earlier about your own personal experience and that and i so if you first off like let me say if i'm going into a realm you just really don't want out in the world just you can shut it down you know full permission but it, what i took without you actually saying it was your experience as a woman and the challenges you've had in your life that were unhealthy aspects of life that you had to go through that's given you the perspective of life you have today is that real am i yeah oh yeah well who um so here's the thing my dad says this thing and i know that people don't want to hear this we all have different kinds of experiences of suffering related to attachment, right? And related to situational stuff. My situations have been trauma, 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 trauma. Abandonment, trauma, trauma, trauma. Like just, I have a whole list of the most horrific things that nobody wants to even talk about because I've survived it and tried to thrive and I deal with the repercussions but I can rarely talk to people about it because most people can't even have the conversation about the crap that I've been through. So I will take a point if I have a voice, you know, a moment to say the reason that I have a heart for people who are experiencing challenges because I know it well. And it doesn't relent. But I also know that healing does happen. I know that forgiveness is possible. I know that we continue to grow with a growth mindset and, and a lot of freaking gumption. You can put all kinds of words to it. Being a parent, surviving for your kids, you know, that got me through the first 20 years of wanting to die. You know, I mean, that's you, suicidal ideation is one tiny little thing that I deal with most of my life. Constantly trying to rise above that chemistry and, and, and response to trauma. So, yeah, I've been through a lot of shit. And it's funny in these times, like the Me Too movement was really interesting to me because I was asking the question, well, do I ride on this? Right. In my my own stories, do I write on them? And I'm working on an essay right now that kind of talks about the interwoven element of trauma and and basically being kidnapped and raped and drugged and that experience, which was just the icing on being raped multiple times as a teenager. So and the domestic violence, like it's just the, a piece of the storyline. But the point is, is that I try I'm trying to write an essay on that and just going into it and trying to do that work was so traumatic. I literally had to just drop it and go, OK, that's as far as we got this round, you know. And so basically, like living life as someone who's experienced complex trauma and has PTSD and a variety of other little things, it ain't easy. So, you know, don't look at my white skin and tell me my life's been easy because that is not true. That's all I got to say about that. Well, I would say what resonates with me is I'm hoping for a place where my white skin isn't a relevant statement. And the whole complexity. I know. I know. I'm sorry I did it. <laughs> no, and it's, it's, the defensiveness. it's the defensiveness, I think, really. Right. And I'm sorry. You know, it's just me being. The but what I want to fully respect is the experience you just shared with us, mm -hmm. which you haven't even like you, you showed us. Not even the glossary, you know, you should write exactly. And I get that. Not right? even the synopsis. Right. That's the lead line. You gave us the title of the book <laughs> or showed us what shelf it's on. Right. So a question I have is, are you finding in your life a way to alchemize these experiences so that I, 
I'm going to fuck this up, so please. All right. you know, These are all tropes right. we're all dealing with. Go ahead. All right. So uh, have you found a way to alchemize these experiences, or are you working on alchemizing the experiences so that there is an empowerment received? Yeah. On so many layers, a lot of it is survival. And and because I've been doing life a long time, I have many versions of that. I have many versions of healing and layers of alchemization, as you call it. Um, I think that if there's anyone who ever hears this and, and is paying attention and is asking the question of, you know, can you heal from complex trauma? The answer is you can experience healing. I did not believe it possible for probably 20 plus years. Um, so, but I still suffer the ramifications. Like I had a re-traumatizing event in late, in mid-December, worst time of the year. And it was, you know, two and a half months of climbing out of the effects of that. It's very hard to live with PTSD. It's really interesting. And I don't even have war PTSD. That's its own baby. But so it is possible to heal no matter where you're at. It is possible. And this is what I tell myself when I'm dealing with suicidal ideation going back there. You know, I don't deal with it that much um, in the sense of that I'm not really, you know, researching how to get out of here. You know, I've done a little research. <laughs> I basically, if I ever go there, I have my exit plan and it's not easy. And that's by design so that I can, yeah. so that I, by the time that I get to where I'm going to do it, it, I'll be done. I'll be over it. I'll be like back to, it's okay. I can keep doing this life. Basically, it, everything is temporary. And every time I felt that sad, there's always been a moment where I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I was that sad. I'm so happy right now. Life is worth it. This is a beautiful moment and they come, they are, they do exist. And, you know, there's a unique moment waiting for all of us to, when we get to cross over, when we get to be pushed over the edge. And when I've had a much less, obviously like one, one millionth of the amount of suicidal ideation, I think that Doran's experienced, I've always had the, I like, well, Hey, I want to find out what the mystery has in store for me. Hmm. That's, that's the thing I want to know. I want to know, like, is it, do I just fall asleep and have a heart attack? Do you know, do I die having sex or, you know, what, what's the thing? Do I die, you know, a hero's death saving us from racism? Like, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, it used to be, we could write our endings a little bit more than we can in our current society, but, um, interesting. Yeah, no, we really could. We could make choices in a certain sense, you know, in some ways, but, um, death by cop. Oh, shit. <laughs> We can swear, right? Yes, absolutely. Been, I am so proud of myself. I don't think I've sworn once. Well, since feel then, free to say whatever. The fuck you yeah, want. we we have no, the public. I have my teacher persona persona. Oh. You know that I have to be wary. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting because you know Michael Pritchard. Um, I did a podcast with him, and there was one point where he thought he said a swear word, and at the time, I had this rule that I don't edit anything. But he asked, if I said this word, can you pull it out? Because my work with kids and ex exactly what you're saying. And I got it so clearly. I was like, absolutely. If you said it, it turned out he didn't say it. But I was like, yeah, that's I get that. I was just going to say um, when I'm you said when you are dealing with it. Oh, shoot. I had this idea, but we totally went off the track. So now I'll give you my fake my fake swear words. Shark. <laughs> Fire truck. That's a good one. Fire trucking, fire truck. I'm <laughs> <laughs> really bad. I, I learned this from SpongeBob. You know, SpongeBob had barnacles. And my, right. my students taught me that. And I went, okay, I'm going to swear in this class. Barnacles, 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 barnacles. <laughs> love it. I love it. Mine was ding diddle. I still use it. Ding diddle. Ding diddle. That's a good one. That was called my it. But then, and you're not swearing. So for all the people listening or watching, Doran is not swearing. But <laughs> my son learned fuck at about the age seven. And and he was so charged by the reaction that word had. He was on it. 
And I tried everything short of physical, like soap in the mouth or something chaotic like that. You know, like say whatever, everything. Finally, I was like, this word's here. So then I explained to him how you may not be able to spend the night at a friend's house if you Mm -hmm. use that word at their house. So I don't care. But there's people, and that he heard, and he was, it never was an issue. I love the F word. My dad spent a couple years in my teens trying to get me not to use it. He would say, you know, the way your mouth speaks is the way your brain thinks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you, you aren't getting half of what my brain is going through. If, my, if, you could, if you were in my brain, the whole world would be on fire when I say, fire truck and fire truck. Anyway. <laughs> well, and there was a thing we did with our younger sister, Jennifer, which is when she was too young to understand what we meant, she would we would say, Jennifer, say truck. And she couldn't say truck. She would say the other thing. <laughs> and we thought it was the cutest thing. So when our fr- our parents' friends would come over, we'd be all, Jennifer, say truck. And she would say, fuck. And we would laugh hysterically. And our mom and dad would look at us like, oh, God. You know, we can't have real friends because of you. <laughs> So I like to think about how are we going to connect on the things that we connect on rather than how are we so different? And I think as parents, we have this experience of our kids embarrassing us or, you know, younger people embarrassing us. It could even be younger people we hang out with or cousins or whatever. My son once had a Thanksgiving dinner at our very, you know, very red, red family, red side of the family table my five-year-old son, I had my, uh, I had a boyfriend at the time right in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner. He says, did you know my mom and Koji have sex? (laughs) I was just like, why? How? What? (laughs) What makes a child pick that moment? Like, was he, was he doing a little social experiment possible with my kid? But, you know, <laughs> that's brilliant. It's well, so something to be thankful for. And it, it should be said that this same kid now is a master's in urban planning. So he's he's been working things for a while. So it probably was a social experiment is what I'm saying. <laughs> it was very likely a social experiment that he tried on his mother. Well, don't you think like I feel more connected with you from you sharing a very personal element of who you are in your life and my vulnerability, you mean sharing, being vulnerable and right. raw? And- yeah, yeah, that's a perfect word. And I think there's an element of people of color and different gender persuasion and all the marginalized aspects of humanity of part of us learning to join together is an acknowledgement and recognition of how far off we've been. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm really into this thing right now about listening and responsive listening. And what does that look like in every aspect of my life? Like even with how I'm paying attention to my own inner dialogue and, um, and having other perspective. So how do we do that with questions, with conversations and, People do not want to listen to the hard stuff. That's my experience. The hard stuff or the heart stuff? The hard stuff. Like my trauma. The people that love me don't want to talk about that. Even if I need to. So I imagine, you know, I'm, I'm extrapolating this onto, I know, I know that people try, but it's hard, right? So I get it. I know that they love me anyway, right? But if let's just talk about black lives matter again, here we are three white people talking about black lives matter, but I think it's because it matters to us too. Black lives matter to us. And so I'm, I'm asking myself that question, you know, how does, how do I show that it matters? And it starts with being willing to be really honest. I am that kind of person. I do believe that if I open up, maybe you will feel safe to open up. If I share my humanity, maybe you feel comfortable sharing your humanity. If you know that I've been through hard times and I've overcome them, maybe you'll feel safe enough to tell me about your hard times and with a little hope that you can overcome them. So I think that it is really important that we have responsive listening and conversations and and 
I'm trying to figure out how to do that myself, but I know that it's what I want to do when I'm in conflict with people. And this conversation that the three of us are having and the listening and the change of emotion and et cetera, that's what I don't think AI will ever have. Back to AI. Good. <laughs> that's right. Because it doesn't have a spirit. Basically, it's, this is my interpretation. You know, it's just jealous. Well, there's a th- kind of a threefoldedness to reality. There's spirit, there's intellect, and then there's soul. And, and, um, soul and spirit for the are you current music? period are not available to the machines. I have musicians in my house. It's the background. Is that okay? Do you want me to turn no, it off? Or a, no, I think it's it? apropos. Like, now they're closing the door. <laughs> here we are. Uh, it was a great punctuation to what I was saying. I thought it was serendipitous. All right, three levels. I didn't quite catch it because I got so, distracted. Spirit, soul, and intelligence are not. Um, intelligence can be mimicked, but spirit and soul cannot. Don't have a digital equivalent because the one comes through something called the Akashic influence, the karmic influence. And that is so deep and at the same time permeable, but not in the way we usually think of words and intellect in a linear fashion. It's something that arrives and arises at such a subtle, complete way. It's like people talk about an inspiration that they've had and it's like it it appeared whole. I heard it and it it happened all at once. Or, you know, we receive a download, quote unquote. That's how I felt about your song. Yeah. I got it in one one day. And there's no way to program for intuition. You can mimic Mm -hmm. the language of intuition, but the actual evolution or unfolding of that aspect of creativity I don't think it's programmable you can make it you can make it look like it's happening through random generation I mean there's that um, art AI I I forget what it's called right now Um, but you can go to a, a website now and put in a bunch of words and an AI will draw you some amazing paintings and it's phenomenally interesting to do it um, and I'm on the wait list. As soon as I can, we're going to start making Moped Outlaws NFTs from that stuff for sure. Right. Cool. But um, well, I like the T-shirt. Are you? The T-shirt looks good. Yeah, they're available. I was a little disappointed. I was going to ask. Do have you have a... on the sh- the long sleeve printing? Mm. You know, we'll I just made a, a new one with that um, image, and it says, "Stupidity is your prerogative." Nice. Where, where does it say that? On the back. Oh, the arm. No, no, no on the back. Back. Okay. yeah, I one like arm it on the So, which image? The image with the little kid playing. Yeah, with, with our our producer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what the whole point of us gathering in this moment is to invite the power of levity to lift our heart above the suffering of our human existence so that something might be born in the conversation that would open up the light for someone else and thereby increase the conversation and increase the potentiality for us. And Dorn, you showing up today has definitely done that in a wonderfully creative and unimaginable way at the time. Um, And, you know, when I think about our life together, you showing up in this life karmically as my sister partner, I have a lot of gratitude for all of it. Um, And I'll say this right now, I am midway through being a administrator in a summer camp with grades one through five. And it's something that challenges me to the core every day. I want to quit (laughs) educator full time year round for over 18 years and continues to do it as her profession. And so what I've learned from the reactivity that I have to the natural experiences of kids has been a real eye opener because of the three people in this conversation. I'm the only one who's never been a parent. And so the, the life lessons that the children are teaching me at this point in my, my, um, karma is really amazing and difficult and um, eye-opening 
Yeah, I think you don't you don't know shit until you know you judge your parents, but you don't know shit until you do it you, on a certain level. Yeah, like but some some of the times when my son has done something that I did to my parents, I'm like, wow, okay, now I get it, <laughs> totally get it. Oh, and I can't go back. And I with my mom, she's gone. I can't apologize. There's a few things. It, since she's passed that I've wanted to apologize to her about because I've learned them since she passed about my own son. <laughs> yep. I think what's hard for adults too is to truly embody the evolutionary process, which states that our children are better. They're further along in evolution than we are. That's the From same. the get go. Right. That's the scientific fact of evolution. And yet so many adults give very little credence to the natural aspects of childhood. Yeah. Well, I, my dad said to me, I know, are we going to end soon? Um, he said a long time ago, he may have been a bad dad, but at least he, he allowed us to follow our paths and he encouraged us along our own trajectories. And I, and he didn't say it exactly like that, but I always remembered that. And I, and I used it not only as a parent, but as an educator, I came to understand that every child I'm looking at, no matter the ones that really make my life very difficult that they have this path, this wondrous future in front of them. And I have no idea what it is. And there's so much like potential and possibility and likely suffering like and challenge. And so like my little piece on that path then becomes about that moment and that little engagement I have and not so much controlling them. And it's easier. It's like, I realized when I, when I finally understood that the children were a river and you cannot hold on to any of it, you know, it just keeps going. So you can just have an interaction with them as they kind of move in the river with you. And then they just go on. And sometimes you get to jump into the river of a cool show like this. (laughs) Recording stopped.